welcome everybody to the Drum Arms. It's the last day, we're in the home streets now, but actually probably the best day um, of the week. Because uh, if you don't know, we're having a rap party tonight and uh, you're very welcome to put your name down with Liana on the way out if you would like to attend that. Um, first of all, uh, I'm very glad that you've come along uh, to talk about our topic of Brexit. Because uh, I know you've not really had any content whatsoever about that coming to you on a day-to-day -day basis, so really need to get into the conversation, don't we? Uh, so I'd like to start, first of all, uh, by thanking my panel for coming <coughs> along, uh, but also to ask them to introduce themselves. And I'm going to start. Uh, I'm Diane Young. I'm CEO and co-founder of The Drum. Hi. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Danny Bassel. I'm the CEO of Digitas. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Richard Dukes. I'm chairman of Grayling Communications. I'm afraid my background is in public affairs uh, and I've been talking about Brexit for far too long. <laughs> Hopefully it may be coming to an end. You can but hope. Um, I'm Debbie Zman. I'm CEO of WITH. We're a tech specialist comms agency. Hello, I'm Stephen Woodford. I'm chief executive of the Advertising Association. We are the sort of primary interaction between government and the industry uh, in talking all matters Brexit. Uh, so I'll, be, I'll sort of feel a sense of loss when it's all over, if it ever is over. <laughs> hey, what did you do before this again? I can't remember. You're um, so important, by the way. Um, so I'd like to just set the tone for this today. We are not going to be talking politics whatsoever, and if anyone starts, I'm going to stop them dead. Uh, we are here to talk about practicalities because we are here uh, as an industry to work out how we're going to thrive after whatever happens, happens. Um, so. We're hoping to uh, create some good content for the website as well, so I hope we're going to have a good conversation, including all of you. And at the end of it, we want to have some actionable takeaways, some advice to people of, as to how they can prepare. Um, but I don't want it to be a negative conversation. What I'd also like to do at the end is have a really good idea of some ways that we can actually kill it. We're a creative industry. We should be able to figure out a creative solution to pretty much anything that happens. So I'd like to come away with some real positives as well. Uh, so just to give you a bit of background, uh, the service industry in the UK actually represents 45% of the economy, uh, which is £277 billion, and it's growing all the time. Um, and yet there's very little conversation in the news about services. It tends to all be about manufacturing and moving goods and you know what's happening at the Irish border. Um, and really, I think it's a bit of a shame that services aren't mentioned more because we are a big part of that 45%. Um, whatever happens once we're through Brexit, um, there will be uh, substantial constraints on services. Um, I'm going to credit uh, KPMG and Mark Slater for um, giving me some background to help us with the, with the talk today. Um, so he's highlighted that there is potentially active discrimination against British companies. Uh, arduous qualification requirements for temporary workers, uh, non-transparent and discriminatory licensing arrangements, refusal to recognise foreign qualifications, which might not be so bad for us as, say, bankers and so on, um, and constraints on where a supplier can be physically located in order to trade with EU uh, countries. Um, so it's likely that there's going to be less cross-border uh, trade and an increase in establishment of EU offices is uh, something that actually Mark has said he, he would probably advise uh, people in our sector to think about opening an office just to have the presence there. Um, so let's start off with a little uh, straw poll. Um, who feels that they have put in a good bit of preparation for Brexit as a company? Raise your hand. 
Okay, so there's three hands going up. That's good. Maybe off in the same company. I don't know. <laughs> um, and who feels that they are quite unprepared? Basically, everyone else and maybe a few in the middle. Both. <laughs> confused, confused. Okay, um, so I'm going to show you a couple of slides, um, which hopefully I'm not blocking. Uh, so could you go to the next one, Paul? That's, uh, yeah, so these are um, some of the things that KPMG foresee as potentially happening after a no-deal Brexit. Uh, so a drop in sterling of 7 to 10%. This is if it's... Um, Amicable, relatively amicable, 3% uh, drop in output, uh, growth falling, inflation rising, and Bank of in England interest rates lowering again. Um, longer term, UK economy could get smaller, 3% uh, smaller potentially, and um, if, it's, if it's very disruptive, the pound could fall up to 25%, inflation could go up to 6.5%, GDP falling, unemployment rising. It doesn't look very good when you look at all that together. Um, so how do we actually go about preparing? And if we move to the next slide, um, this is a handy graphic, which again, I credit KPMG for, which is 18 things to consider whether they affect you or not as part of Brexit. So I'm gonna let you digest those for a moment. I think I might be totally in the way here, so I'm gonna step back. Um, we've done this for the drum. Uh, and look through, and quite a lot of them actually don't directly impact us, but where we'll be impacted is how it impacts on our customers. Uh, so that's more difficult to tell. But I'd like to start by asking the panel, and maybe start at the far end with you, Stephen, um, what sort of thoughts you've got on how these things are going to impact our industry and what you think uh, agencies should be thinking about. Thank you very much. And I, th I, th I think the first thing I would say uh, about our industry um, and during Ad Week, we've launched a report um, showing the absolutely fantastic export performance this industry has. So one of the things we uh, were su surprised about, actually, was in the latest data was 2017, so it's the first full year after Brexit. Advertising exports were up 18%, and services are the biggest part of our economy. They were up 7%. But actually, when you take those two figures, all services still up 7%, despite the Brexit No. Clearly, we haven't left yet. We haven't even got to the exit yet. So there's still a long, long way to go. But actually, one of the things that, the, that is very true is the economy is is, has been very resilient. And I don't know whether anybody... Saw, our industry depends primarily on corporate profitability and consumer confidence. Those are the two big drivers of ad spend. Corporate profitability is very high. Firms are sitting on enormous amounts of cash, partly because they're holding back because of Brexit, they're holding back on investment. Uh, and cons the consumer is... I don't know if anybody saw next results in the in the press this morning. Pretty bullish, actually. Consumers are spending again. Real incomes are rising. Those are the things that affect our business in terms of the domestic business. Uh, and we have this phenomenal export performance. So I think there's actually quite a lot of thing, reasons why we should be confident about that because our creativity is admired all over the world. Uh, and if you look at our report, you'll see fantastic data, both on the overall exports, but actually the proportion of firms in our industry already exporting. Uh, and so I would go straight to the end of the thing. My, my call to action would be to, to absolutely power through it and focus on exporting and focus on and potentially outside of the EU. The big risk is 55% of our exports currently go to the EU, but they are not growing very fast. The fast growing areas are America and China and Asia. 
Uh, and we, so the Ad Association's had export months to coincide with uh, Ad Week and, and, and the release of this data. We've had 100 people from our industry go to three different trade missions, one to China, one to Japan, and one to South by Southwest. And I think that sort of, you know, uh, James Murphy, who's our uh, chairman, uh, had this great phrase, I thought, which he coined about 18 months ago, about a buccaneering Brexit. Actually, we've just got to go on and get out there and do it and not get paralysed by the doom and gloom. So that would be my message. Just get out and go for it. Great. That's a great start. I think from our perspective, um, we're firmly in the SME category. We're a 20-person business. And much like other businesses our size, we can't just go and open an office in 10 other countries and, and you know spin that overnight or what we like to call do a Dyson and ship off to Singapore, perhaps. Um, but I guess for us, there's two sides to that. We have for seven, eight years been very EU. We have a multilingual team based in London um, and we have remote workers across the European Union. So we have been offering an integrated EU solution from London for a number of years and that also works for agile businesses who need to operate in multiple markets, uh, weight up market entry, dial up against a competitor in another market, it's quite an agile solution. But over the last 12 to 18 months, largely through necessity, we've also um, been building our own alliance of similar uh, comms agencies, tech specialist comms agencies around the world. So we have the With Global Alliance. They're all similarly boutique specialist agencies. And I think that's a very achievable goal for lots of SMEs to find lookalikes um, around the world. You don't have to invest in opening your own office. And if the economy over here is likely to shrink, the bellwether from the last quarter of last year showed that it was stagnant for the first time in six, seven years, then that bringing leads in from partners and also feeding leads out from the UK and having the face of an international business is another really important way of, of looking at an alternative nimble solution um, to delivering that on that. And I think the other reality for us is, is talent. And I just can see that that is going to become an ever increasing bun fight, to put it technically. Um, we did a piece of research amongst our kind of clients, tech businesses, 100 tech businesses, um, later last year. One would think it, everything would have changed since then, but it seemingly hasn't that much. Um, and they were talking, 40% were looking at poaching directly from their com competitors. Now, we might think that that happens already, but to be actively stating a strategy of we are going to go into our competitors and pull out their teams. Bigger companies were talking about extending the retirement age within the company to manage the talent uh, shortage that there is. And I think building strong cultures with outward international facing business is going to be equally important to finding where that business comes from. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. I'm supposed to be doing this, aren't I? <laughs> Sorry. I can hear you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're just having a chat. You can just <laughs> get on with it. Um, well, I, I think one of the things that struck uh, me from um, I don't know if this, uh, uh, from uh, Grayling's point of view is actually just how resilient uh, British businesses have been I, I, in the in the light of what is uh, you know we don't want to get political but I mean, I mean you know an utter shambles uh, and um, uh, from our own business as a communications agency we've got nine offices across the UK as well as a European network. 
Uh, in fact, it's the UK that has done rather uh, better than our European partners over the last year. Um, I mean, obviously, that's entirely down to the brilliance of its leadership. But um, <laughs> in, in reality, there, there is, the, you know, businesses are very resilient. And, of course, business, people and politicians talk about business. I mean, business does not have one voice. It has many, many different voices, and very often... Uh, the voices that we hear on the, uh, in the media are, are the big international businesses, but the businesses that really matter uh, and are responsible for uh, the majority of employment in the UK are the small and medium-sized businesses. They sometimes get lost in this debate. I think it's important that they, they have a voice. Um, uh, more generally, uh, I mean, I think things are undoubtedly tough. As you say, uh, some of the economic indicators are not particularly uh, encouraging. They're not that encouraging, actually, right across the, the Eurozone uh, area. But, you know, we have got the highest levels of employment and the lowest levels of unemployment in 45 years. We may argue about the, uh, the, the types of jobs that those represent, but that has to tell you something about the economy. So there is a reason, there is reason, if we need reasons, which we probably do at the moment, to be mildly optimistic. I also think, uh, and uh, I, I love talking about Brexit because before you get out of the room, the whole world has changed. What you've said is complete bonkers rubbish. But I'm going to plough on. I mean, Theresa May is gone, is going today to address uh, the EU. Really the, the Prime Minister was <laughs> going there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I, for I, you, Stephen. <laughs> I suspect she'll be gone um, before long. But um, she's addressing the EU at one o'clock today. She's going to ask for a short extension. Uh, to Article 50 in the hope that she can drive her deal through Parliament next week. Uh, it seems likely that the EU will say you can't have till the 30th of June, you might get to the 22nd of May because of the EU election timetable. Um, uh, but I think they'll give her an extension. I mean, I, I cannot see circumstances in which actually the no deal scenario comes to pass. I, I just don't see, I don't think the EU will allow it. I don't think Theresa May will, I don't think the Speaker of the House of Commons, and I don't think Parliament. So I, I, I sort of remain uh, reasonably optimistic that there will be a managed deal. What do businesses do in that scenario, and assuming that the UK is then to some extent able to uh, plough its own furrow in terms of free trade deals or, or uh, extra deals with other potential markets, I would say to you, engage with government. You, I, I know we are very cynical about government, and rightly so in many, many respects. But actually, uh, the Department for International Trade uh, and others have got some very bright people in it, in, in, in amongst the officials, and they are crying out for people and businesses to go to them and say, this is what I need from any future deal. When you go and talk to whichever uh, jurisdiction it may be, this one, so I, I would urge people, don't, don't believe that nothing happens in government. I mean. Uh, some good things do happen, uh, and um, make sure your voice is heard, particularly make sure small and medium-sized businesses are being heard, and it's not just the Dysons or the uh, international companies uh, who quite honestly rather thrive on regulation because it keeps out the competitors and the challengers. Uh, so, sorry, that's a rather convoluted <laughs> answer, but there, there we are. Great, thank you. Um, I'm sort of, we're sort of looking at it in three ways really, the agency and the industry, our clients and consumers. So starting with ourselves, we like talking about ourselves. Um, we, from a Digitas perspective, our biggest department is our creative department. Um, and I just don't think the creative switch is just going to flip off because we're leaving the EU. We are a creative powerhouse and a technology powerhouse. We have some of the most brilliant data people I've ever worked with. 
um, coming through the industry here. And I just don't think that's going to change. And I think the industry, whether that be in the UK and beyond, will still need that from us. So that's um, one thing. Our clients, uh, I think we had a couple of hairy uh, years, 2017, 2018, but it feels so much more positive coming into 2019. We are growing and that is a brilliant thing. Um, and at one point last year, I didn't quite know how it was gonna end next year, but it's, it's starting really, really well. I think that there is a bit of fatigue with clients. You know, they, they did hold back and now that you can't hold back for, you know, forever, you've got to start spending and, you know, we still need to be talking to consumers. So that's what we're doing. And then from a consumer perspective, our job, obviously, as an industry is to understand how consumers are feeling. And that's where we can add the most value. So how will this affect consumers? Will they spend differently? You know, we get to the heart of consumers. That's what we do as a business. So that's what we're focusing on. And then there are a couple of other big ticket items like data. How will that I mean, we have a very big data team and we obviously do a lot of analytics on data as a business. How will that be affected by the new regulation? That's quite a big deal for us. And for our clients, obviously we've had GDPR, now we're gonna have this. There's a lot of unknowns, so that is a huge concern and something that we're really working on. Um, and I'm looking at you, Stephen, because I'm hoping that <laughs> you'll be able to help as well. Um, and then talent, obviously. Talent is the biggest thing. So. I'm hoping through um, the, a the AA and um, us being able to lobby government because we are quite a powerful industry and I think we forget how much we export, we should have a voice at that table on how you know, um, a talent mobility will work yeah. in the future and that has to be one of our biggest concerns because people are our business, so. Um, just uh, referring to your point on clients here, actually. So as, a, as an industry, our job is to help businesses to thrive, grow, uh, achieve their aims and deliver to their, to their customers. Do you feel a heightened responsibility at the moment to your clients? Um, and is that overshadowing your worries about your own business or is it actually an opportunity? I think it's an opportunity. We, ha we are their trusted advisors. That's the role that we play and we sh will, should continue to do that. And I think um, it feels more positive at the moment, although there's a lot of uncertainty, which is an odd thing to say, I think. It does feel positive because we just got to get on with it. And that's where I think we can continue to have that real trusted advisor role with our clients. And they do look to us for that. Yeah, absolutely. And from, from our perspective as well. And I think, um, you know, they're looking for advice. Again, our clients are specifically in the technology space, but they're looking for advice around changing regulation. Um, they're looking for advice on, you know, if they're thinking about moving some of their operations to other countries, what, what the landscape is in that particular market. So there are opportunities to build that reputation. But equally, we're also work, working with them on just recently on the gender pay gap report. So there's, there is other stuff happening out there that they need, uh, they need general, you know, support in a continued way on as well. Just to, to add to that, I mean, I, I think everything you've, you've both said is, is absolutely right. I mean, interesting for us and, and across corporate consumer and public affairs uh, what we're finding I think is that we're having conversations with different people within the client uh, organization because this is an unprecedented uh, unknown uh, nobody uh, you know can claim to have all the answers or know what's going to happen because I mean I don't think you know any of us do uh, and therefore you're in a much more uh, perhaps collegiate conversational which leads to more trust 
uh, conversations with clients, not just the ones that you've been working with over the last year on the sort of you know, business as usual, but with other parts of the business. And I think that is, you know, and if you've got the right talent, which I think is fundamental, and we can legislate all we like for everything else if you haven't got the right people. But if you've got good people, talking to the other good people with your clients, then uh, there is uh, opportunity. Just so uh, I want to pick up on something Richard said, which I totally agree with, is one of, one of the good things about Brexit, which is not a phrase you hear that often, <laughs> but I think one of the good things about Brexit is that our industry, alongside all the other parts of the economy, but particularly the service industries, are hugely engaged with government. So on the most sort of, if you like, entrepreneurial side, we're working really closely with the Department of International Trade, who are terrific. Uh, that's partly because they're looking at the life beyond. They're not, if you like, burdened with the dramas of getting out, they're looking at the post-Brexit world of much more free trade. And let's remember, our number one trading partner is America. Our number two is Germany. I think China and France are between three and four, but China is in our fast. sector. In our, in our, in our sector. Well, sector. across the economy. Okay, across the economy. Uh, in our sector, America is number one, uh, the number one market. EU overall is number one, you know, 55% is EU. So you know, there, is a, there is a world out out, out beyond the EU, and, and actually there are relatively few barriers to our trade, other than there's two big things. Data is incredibly important um, in terms of, and there is guidance about what to do in a no-deal Brexit. It's very technical and complicated, but on the ICO website, on the DMA's website, uh, anybody who wants guidance, there, there are things you can do in the event of a no-deal Brexit. It does transfer risk onto your EU partner, uh, but you need an EU partner to, to, to have a contractual relationship with. So there are there is guidance about what to do. But I, I, totally agree. I don't think there's going to be no deal. There, there if, if you look at every single big EU crunch point, at 11.59 in a smoke-filled room, or probably a vape-filled room or something <laughs> like that, a deal is done. And I don't there was two... Uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a Brexit political junkie, so I follow all this. I was listening to uh, Katia Adler this morning, on, um, who I think is a brilliant correspondent in Europe, <coughs> and she was saying two very important things were said yesterday by Merkel and Donald Tusk. They said we will fight to the very end to get a deal. Which all points to, my, my Brexit prediction, Theresa May will lose next week, there'll be another extension, uh, and they'll offer a concession on the backstop to get it over the line, and there'll be a vote the week after or a week after that, and it will get through. But the critical date, everybody's saying, is, is actually April 11th, because that's when we have to be in the European election or not. So actually the date is much closer than when it's May 25th or June. You know, we, we have to push the button on, on going in for a European election. And you imagine the farce of doing a European election when you're trying to get out of it. But l it, it is incredibly difficult, and they're all going to want... That's, that's their real hard stop, is the 11th of April. So probably 10th of April at 11.59, you know, the puff of white smoke will come out uh, <laughs> and the deal will be done. I think there's you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some um, interesting insights onto negotiating, I think, during this whole thing. On the one hand, the EU are so strong, but on the other hand, how can you come out of it with a positive feeling about the whole thing, which is not a good negotiation. But um, well, actually, I Do you remember the last big European drama was when the Canadian free trade deal was going to be signed? Mm. And it was the, pub, it was the Parliament of Walloon, which nobody even heard of, a region in Belgium that held it up for two weeks. <laughs> anyway, it was done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with some concessions of the Walloonians or whatever, <laughs> uh, and it was done, and nobody, and nobody, everybody forgets it. So I think one of the things is, and you know, we we also forget about this. Is this is not the New Deal. This is just getting us to the start mm. line. Mm -hmm. This is just getting us out. Yeah. yeah, the really hard work is to come. So I think people will forget yeah. this, assuming we do get over the line. Okay, um, I want to ask if anyone in the room has actually done any specific marketing and of 
their role in helping their customers in e in, you know, post, post Brexit? Has anyone actually taken that as an opportunity and done something, created a package or product or consultancy day? No? No? Is it well, I mean, you <coughs> have? Yeah. We, we, we have, uh, for our political clients, we have a Brexit unit, no less, wow. uh, uh, which, which, has, which has helped a, a number of manufacturing businesses uh, in their dialogue, both in the UK, but I mean, actually rather more critically in, in Brussels, because of course, we can ask for whatever we want. It's not in the end, it's not in our gift mm. to deliver that. It's with the EU. So we work very closely with our Brussels uh, colleagues <coughs> uh, and 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 help on on that and and I think so just one other very quick thing that we have begun to do and I'm sure everybody on the panel and in the room have begun to do, you know at some point I mean whether it's next week or the week after at some point I think a deal will be done and the fog will begin to lift and when it does there will be a massive vacuum and massive opportunity for brands and businesses in the UK to fill that vacuum and to sort of re-engage with the climb to the sort of sunlit uplands of post-Brexit bliss, uh, and 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 I think there's that an ad right there. And, and I think that uh, you know, but that work should be starting now because uh, you know when it comes, it'll come quickly, and we just need you need to be out there. You need mm. to be getting your views out there um, and preparing for, as I say, the fog will lift. Of that, I have no no doubt. And I, and I think just to just to. Also, I wanted to also add about the, the work we're doing with government. There are two cross-industry groups that we're engaged in representing our industry. One is called the Creative Industries Council, which is uh, co-chaired by Tim Davey from BBC Worldwide, uh, Greg Clark from uh, Days, and Jerry, Jeremy Wright from DCMS. So Secretary of State's, joint Secretary of State's co-chairing this. So very engaged with that. We're also on something called the Professional Business Services Council, which is also chaired by Greg Clark at Bayes. Uh, and that's where advertising in our industry sits alongside things like architecture and accountancy and you know, all the big high-level professional services. So we're actually the only industry across two groups. In both those groups, we're talking about long-term partnerships with government to, in effect, foster growth. And, uh, and this is the sort of, you know, another one of the, if you like, reactions to Brexit is actually government and our industry are talking about what to do together. We've had 30 years of no industrial strategy because the strategy was let business get on with it. Uh, there is now an industrial strategy, which is actually government and industry working very closely together to ensure that Britain carries on growing. But actually, the, the big thrust of it, which I think is really important for our industry, is also getting, the, if you like, the proceeds of growth more fairly distributed. So it's all about growth in the regions and nations outside London and the South East mm. particularly. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge emphasis for government, which I think is a very good thing. And, and you know, out of that is a actually a big emphasis on diversity. Diversity is the number one concern that I think those departments have is that our industry alongside other services has to do a much much better job uh, as well as attracting the brightest and best from around the world which we want to carry on doing we want to develop domestic talent in a much better way than we have probably done today if we're honest with ourselves we've not done a brilliant job on that just coming back to you you were nodding yeah you've been doing and, something. and just coming back to your question on kind of marketing services around Brexit in some ways we've had to be careful not to push the Brexit button too hard <laughs> continually because for us it's a great <laughs> great opportunity to market what was an existing business model for us that you know we we're already kind of you know operating and supporting clients in those markets but I guess the reality is for a lot of our clients their clients are moving a lot you know uh, we have a lot of clients in fintech and banks are moving you know one of the first stories up on the FT after 
the, can I call them shenanigans yesterday, um, political maneuverings perhaps, um, was you know uh, uh, continuing the conversation about the trillions of uh, pounds that will be leaving the country and the numbers of people that will be leaving um, and jobs being created in Europe. So uh, you know whether it's uh, whatever technology sector it is, our customers will be following their customers and will need to understand what's happening in various markets quite quickly. And we are really well placed happily to do that. So for us, it is an opportunity. We have to just be careful not, not to press it too hard. But we've done things like. Um, with my kind of multilingual team in London, we did a, a piece looking at how other countries are reporting Brexit and how they see brand UK. Um, and, it, and it's quite interesting. Apparently, Bojo does translate into German. Um, so yeah, he's, uh, he makes the headlines just as much over there. Do you envisage that you could help other people in our sector? Like, and I won't, don't want to use the white labeling term but you know par partnering with other agencies if they're struggling with you know the, the knowledge that you've got uh, absolutely i mean you know we're called with collaboration <laughs> is kind of baked into <laughs> yeah. our into our ethos and and that's something that we we do a great deal of already yeah. actually yeah we partner with with uh, lots of uh, agencies whether they're insight agencies data agencies um, creative agencies yeah we do we do yeah. a lot of that and i think there's you know for us the strength absolute strength in numbers of mm -hmm. that you know coming from the kind of sme environment that's something that you know gives us uh, a real kind of a real strength great okay good and I think from our point of view, um, as a Digitas, we're fortunate to be part of Publicis Group, which is a French business, which is brilliant. So we actually have, you know, opportunity on both sides of the fence to be helping our clients. So we're definitely helping prepare them. And then I think from, again, from a brand perspective, it, you know, brands need to have meaning now and people want inclusivity and to feel part of community and society. And, you know, look what HSBC did earlier in the year with their... UK campaign, which I thought was brilliant. So there's a real opportunity for brands to also take a stand, and that is a great creative opportunity for the industry. And then from you know Digitas's perspective, we're a technology company too, and digital disruption will, <coughs> will continue on in all sectors. So how do we be you know how are we preparing our clients for that? And I think there's a great opportunity there too. Yeah, I think, and you were making a big point about data and insights earlier, and I think that's been so crucial from our perspective um, because. There was a really interesting article in Forbes in January about how just the language of Brexit is like the language of a, a natural disaster and it leaves people with huge questions and uncertainty and that, you know, it was citing Brexit anxiety, that it creates this kind of real anxiety in people because of the language that we're using around the communication of Brexit being so uncertain. And so to come back to the reliance of data, insights, what's, you know, what can we help support clients with on that, from that perspective, I think is absolutely more crucial than it ever was before. And I think more broadly, I think we forget that 85% of the economy is SMEs. We forget that. The UK is built on SMEs. I think the big corporates will be fine because they have huge teams of legal people and they'll have the right governance and corporate structures to be able to cope with something like this. How do we help some of the smaller businesses also you know, get through this difficult time for them? And that's where I think we've got a huge opportunity too. And I think that's it's a really good point about SA, you know, big firms tend to shed jobs and automate and offshore and do all those things. Small firms create jobs. You know, why has the UK got this unbelievable job creation uh, performance that, that almost defies gravity, you know, compa particularly compared to other European countries on a low employment record, high, uh, uh, low unemployment, high employment levels? And I think it is partly because we're a very innovative, creative company and, and you know, a country. And, you know, Forbes, we have this like, natural disaster narrative 
Yet, you know, Forbes magazine in 2018 and 17 voted the UK the best place to do business. We have incredible inward tech investment, more than France and Germany and the next, I think, four European countries put together. More Still, more tech investment coming to the UK. When you look at all those, I thought it was a very good point you made about... You know, creative people are not going to suddenly become less creative. You know, it, it, we, the great strengths of the UK and our industry in particular are about talent and openness uh, and diversity. And we, we put out a report last year based on LinkedIn data that showed that London is by miles the most globally diverse mar you know, city market, if you like. There are two cities that count globally in, in our industry in terms of real you know, scale and clout. That's London and New York. New York is primarily US and domestic, London is global. That's not gonna change. And in fact, there's a brilliant report that Deloitte do, which I don't think they make enough of, which looks at the world's most highly skilled cities, the six highest skilled cities in the world. No surprise, London is by miles the number one. New York is number two. London's got the third more skilled jobs than New York, and three times as many as Paris, which is the next biggest one in, in Europe. So we, these things are not gonna change. And I think one of the big opportunities, one thing that we all need to lobby for is Whatever happens on the deal, and whatever happens in the you know the actual long-term trade deal that we do with the EU, our immigration policy, the policy is the key lever. If we are open to the world's brightest and best, and we do a better job of developing our own talent, particularly from more diverse backgrounds, we'll be fine, particularly in our industry. And I definitely think we punch above our weight. We have the second best universities in the on the planet. The first is obviously in the States, and they're, what, 300 million. So we definitely punch above our weight. So I don't think that will stop either. C could, I, could I just see if anyone wants to ask the panel any questions? There's Sanu at the back um, there. Oh. Yeah, are you going to th throw it? Put your hand. Hi. Um, uh, taking on from that earlier point about um, uh, diversity and, and about the creative industries, has the industry been preparing itself for looking at talent uh, towards the Commonwealth countries, for instance, particularly Australia, New Zealand, uh, indeed India as well? Because um, you were talking about the, the immigration policies, but has the industry started actually prepping uh, for something like that? Well, I'm an Aussie, so <laughs> I might as well start. Um, I mean, God, our agency is full of people from Australia and New Zealand anyway, and I think that there is already a pretty good agreement for mobil talent mobility between the Commonwealth countries anyway. We, we have a huge... Um, office in India and actually there's 450 people in Digitas UK but 150 people in India that work for the UK office mm -hmm. and we are constantly bringing people over and vice versa actually so I think that that should absolutely continue and I just I don't think leaving the EU would change that actually I think that that would probably be amp amplified and I think it's a really good moment to put international diverse recruitment on the table generally um, we became a gold sponsor a couple of years ago, which means we can, we can employ anybody from anywhere pretty much. It's not a cheap thing to do, and it's a pain in the bum from a bureaucratic point of view, but it, it, I think you know, when we did our piece of research late last year, 32% of the tech companies that we were talking to, and tech is one of the more agile spaces, 32% um, said they wouldn't consider sponsoring, which to me, I was, I was really surprised by that because it's, it's not back-breakingly expensive. It is, you know, it's, it's, it's perhaps not a cost that people have 
thought about beforehand, but to build it into a budget for the next 12 months is, is certainly doable for, you know, most efficient businesses. So it's something where, then where, the, you know, the world is your oyster, and I think it kind of needs to be to have a diverse workforce and to continue to be, you know, the, the, the centre of excellence in the creative industries that we are, because we're partly that because of the diverse workforce that we have. I think, and going back to our work we did with LinkedIn, so we surveyed the entire, or LinkedIn did for us, the, their entire database working in our industry. Uh, and the top nationality working in the UK surprised us. It was Americans. The number two didn't surprise us, it was Australians. <laughs> uh, and I think the number three was, were, were French. Uh, EU citizens overall were, uh, I think, about 45% of the EU, but that's across the whole of the EU. And I think this, this is it's a really good point about the change here is that actually it's quite hard to hire somebody from India or America. And obviously, you know, we've had, a, we've had an economy that's relied on, you know, EU citizens can just turn up and get jobs. And that's been really, really good for our industry. But that's not, it's now going to be, well, if, if the policy comes into effect in the way it's designed, it will be now talent-based, not nationality-based. So it will be all about the talent you want wherever in the world they come from. And I think if you take a view that Britain is going to orientate towards being more globally oriented, that's probably a good thing. You know, the devil is in the detail. It needs to be much less administrati administratively burdensome on firms. But government, the Home Office are really listening to this. Uh, yeah. And it's up to us to make the case a pro-business immigration policy. I think we just have to be slightly mindful that um, EU citizens may not turn up and want to be employed. You know, that's certainly, I, you know, the day after the Brexit vote, I was meant to be going on a Hindu and I didn't. I went to work because we have so many EU nationals and I kind of wanted to be there um, with them. And, you know, a lot of them have their parents on the phone going, well, why would you stay? You know, um, the world is their oyster too. And I think that's, you know, that's certainly a challenge in terms of how appealing we can be as employers to people who are like, well, I might just go to America or, you know, I might uh, go to Latin America or, you know, somewhere else that, uh, that is welcoming me with open arms. Well, I, I was at a presentation a couple of days ago about doing business in media advertising in Latin America and um, the so the slightly different stats from yours but the World Bank had stats about the best places to do business from a company's point of view and uh, uh, Britain was number six and the Latin American companies I think countries I think the top one was 54 but they went away down to 180 and 200 and so on so you know I think we still do have a strength and we still do have a message and we need to make sure that we're getting that message out about how great it is to, to work in this country so because the, <coughs> I, I, I mean, I agree with everything, so I'm not going to repeat it. I mean, I, I think, though, as a country, we have a marketing job to do post-Brexit to, to make it clear that we are open for business uh, and that we have not become a, an insular and inward-looking and nasty country. I don't think, actually, people do think that, and, and we talk ourselves into it because it's become a very binary debate, but we absolutely make, need to make sure that that message is getting out there. I think you know we're, we're you know, here. We are in in London, which is sort of an international city. I think the the difficulties of recruitment uh, around diversity of all of all manner of diversity in town outside London is a is can sometimes be a more pronounced problem. And I would urge you know this industry needs to go and make the case to government that that the rules and regulations and the way in which we can attract the very best people to come and work with us has got to be made to work. Uh, and you know, it is incumbent on us, uh, I think, uh, to go and make that point to government, because government sits there, and if we're not saying it, nobody's gonna be saying it on our behalf necessarily. So you know, if we've got concerns, go and bang on their doors and tell them to you know, yeah. get it sorted. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier that you've got close links into a group that are yeah. um, 
tasked with finding out what people need after Brexit. How do people get in touch with you? Well, to they, they get in how touch how with do they you. feed that into the, uh, to the mix? Certainly, any questions or any, if any, desire to participate or, or, or you know, offer opinion, get in touch with us at the AA. As part of our export survey, we surveyed probably about 120 businesses across the industry to get a view on how they were feeling and what their, you know, how, how their, in effect, their own export performance was going. And actually, it was pretty positive. It was, it, you know, it reflected that overall number. Not surprisingly, if the yeah. o overall sector is up 18%, actually the survey yeah. was, was pretty positive. And That's I think good. that the point, uh, and the points about the body language that we have, you know, we, we are. I mean, we're doing. We, we so the AA, we've got a, uh, we, we're now the Can Lions UK rep, and we are going to be doing a lot in Can this summer as a sort of Team GB, in a way to say Britain is, you know, the British advertising industry is the most global, it's the most open, it's the place where we want to attract the world's best talent. You know, none of those things change. And in fact, actually, we've got to sort of double down on those things. Mm -hmm. Really, really, we've, you know, that's happened anyway without any strategy, without any overarching sort of communication or participation or partnership with government. We're now doing those things. So hopefully, you know, given the headwinds we're undoubtedly going to face, we can make a difference to those things and actually make that strong performance carry yeah. on. Because our, our job as business owners is to make things happen regardless things happen. Yeah, of absolutely. what the politicians yeah. are doing. Yeah. That's my view of it. Yeah. Any more questions in the audience? Not anymore. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Paul. I forgot about the microphone. Um, what about payment terms and trying to actually, how important is it to make sure that companies really have their debt sorted out before this all kicks in? And is that something you're all working on hard right now? Uh, we always do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a big push towards the end of the year because, you know, we've got some payment terms that are great and some that aren't. But um, we continue to manage our cash flow at a group level and I don't see that changing particularly from the process that we have now, really. Mm. Yeah. For, for, for SMEs, it's always, yeah, very much uh, front of mind. Mm. Um, we're very fortunate to be in a strong position um, as we globalise with other partners. Um, so, for example, uh, we're working with a Chinese agency as a partner. We are entering into different payment terms so that we can just protect ourselves a little bit. Um, you know, the, the UK economy isn't the only one having issues. We've got partners in Brazil, we've got partners in China, you know, there's, uh, there's troubles all over. But, um, but yeah, I think it's just being live to, to what's going on in our own market mm -hmm. and, and, and in other markets and, and, you know, making sensible kind of updates to, to terms if, if, you know, if they're required. But certainly for SMEs, it's, yeah, front yeah. and centre. <laughs> and I think actually that just, you know, if you've got partnerships in China and other places, lots of businesses are doing the same thing. And, and you know, they're, they're not all like the UK. Obviously, they operate in different, there's different cultures and there's different sort of ways of doing business. Uh, and this is where actually government can be hugely helpful. DIT, people are on the ground in all those major cities. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you were looking to do, a, say, a deal in Shanghai, speak to the Shanghai consulate. They've got trade people. They've got, a, they've got an advertising specialist in the trade team in Shanghai, a, a lovely lady called Becky Zhu, who is brilliant and knows our industry really well. And she, her job is there to help businesses like our, you know, like the businesses in the room, if they want to go to Shanghai, mm. they're there to help uh, and help you with payment terms and contracts mm. and legals and all the other stuff. So we're, we're as a drum, we're going on a trade mission to China in May um, as part of the Mayor of London's business program, international business program. Um, it's really, really good if you yeah. get the chance to go on it. They've got a creative, spe a creative specialty and that's a little group of creative agencies are going 
uh, with the drum as well, which I'm really excited about, because uh, we see big opportunities outside of the UK. We're interested in the world, not and just our next door neighbours. China is fascinating. We've, we just came, we did the Shanghai trip a couple of weeks ago. There is enormous regard for uh, UK creativity. Uh, yeah, they absolutely regard it as the best place in the world, and and there is a sort of sense of, you know, they want to they want to partner and learn uh, and work with UK businesses, but also the thing that you've, you'll find when you when you go is that there is so much we can learn in China as well in terms of the you know the digital, you know, the e-commerce economy is way beyond ours that we can we can see the future in many many ways there. So it, like all trade, it's a reciprocal thing, and there's mm. th there's benefits both ways. That's a good opportunity to plug the uh, China issue of the drum, uh, which is still pretty fresh off the press and full of very exciting and useful content. Um, we're kind of getting to the end of our session now, so I think we'll try and finish on um, your top positive things that people in our sector and companies in our sector can do to make sure that whatever happens in the next few weeks politically, we're going to absolutely kill it out there. Who um, wants to go first? I might as well. Um, so from my point of view and the agency's point of view, it's making people from, not from the UK, still feel comfortable, reassuring them that they'll have a place in the agency, not just in the short term, but a, a really strong future in the industry. Um, and we are doing a lot of work from a talent perspective around that, continuing to reassure our clients and really find those opportunities to create brands that have meaning for consumers and I think that there is um, quite a few angles that we're working on with quite a few of our clients on that and I think there's huge opportunity there. And then, you know, just from my point of view, it's it's continuing that positive story because I, I think I, I am really confident that we will get through it and we will make the best of it and that's why I stayed here. I absolutely love the UK it's the, and London is the best city in the world. Every, every time I travel anywhere and I come back here, I'm just so happy to be back. It's, it's an incredible place and I think that there's a huge and bright future for us and the opportunities outside of the EU is now where we need to be focusing on and I think that that's great actually. Um, well, I'm, uh, I think you've said uh, pretty much everything I'd like to uh, have said. I mean, look, in my view <coughs> and in, in experience in politics, nothing is ever as good or as bad as people tell you. It becomes very, very binary and depending on which side of the argument on, either we're going to hell and a handcart or we've found the new nirvana. The truth is it'll be somewhere in the middle. My advice is hold your nerve. I mean, this industry is doing incredibly well. It's got very, very talented people uh, who, are, who work hard, who want to do their very, very best. Trust ourselves, hold your nerve. Um, I guess from my perspective, it's that for um, the SME independent creative agencies um, in this space, globalization is possible um, it uh, it's also quite fun <laughs> I, I, I mean I think you know, three agency heads saying it very very well but I, and I think that the thing that I would advise we, we see lots and lots of businesses and lots of other trade bodies and lots of interaction with government and uh, your trade mission is a good example of it I think in uncertain difficult times the, you know sitting there thinking oh you know just waiting for stuff to happen stuff bad stuff will happen if you do that you know it's absolutely about being entrepreneurial and in tough times, you've got to be bolder. You know, so it's always the counterintuitive thing. Don't because things look uncertain. Don't think, well, we'll sit on our hands and just wait. You know, that's the time for bold action. Go on a trade mission. Mm -hmm. o you know, open up new relationships. Open up new offices. Get more foreign talent. Get more diversity. You know, all of these things are all, and these, these don't require 
you know, the EU sanction to do this. These are all things that are in our, our control. You know, they're all things that, that are our day-to-day -day business. So if we do those things, and all the indications are, just from the panel here, but also the, the data and our surveys and so on, is actually that's what people are doing. They're just getting on with it. And in, in effect, they're probably putting more effort in because it's tougher. And I think that's, you know, that resilience uh, and scale and uh, depth of talent that we have here, we'll, 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 we will be fine. All will be well, as Winston Churchill used to say. It's reassuring, comforting. Um, I'll just finish up actually with um, just uh, a quote from uh, our chairman, uh, who's Justin Cook, who was formerly Fortune Cookie and WPP. And we were talking about what might or might not happen uh, in our board meeting. And he said, the way I see this is, doesn't matter what happens, I'm an opportunist. You know, our job is to see where the opportunities are and, and work it out. And he, he said one thing he felt was really missing was a really inspiring vision from the government about what could we be after this happens? Uh, what could this country become under different circumstances from where we were before? Um, and hopefully as an, as an industry, we are also starting to think about that as well. What's our vision for the UK creative industry in the future? And I'm really, really happy to hear that you're thinking about globalizing and seeing all the opportunities. Um, at the drum, we are working globalizing as well. So hopefully be going along on that journey together and with, with lots of other companies in this, in this industry. So um, I wish you all luck. Um, and I'd like to thank you for your input as well. And thank you for coming along.